from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling, with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Good evening and welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Suzanne Higgins. Joining me for today's Reporters Roundtable are Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News, Taylor Stuck from the Herald Dispatch of Huntington, and Jake Zuckerman of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Welcome to all of you. Hi, thank you. Well, yesterday the Comprehensive Education Reform Bill did pass the House. It was a 71 to 29. Uh, victory over there. Um, it was expected to be received by the Senate today, but that didn't happen. Tell us, tell us what's going on, Brad. <laughs> yeah, well, good question. You know, one thing is it's, it's, it's a legitimately very large, very complicated bill, and the explanation we received is it needs some formatting, uh, some explanation as it comes to the Senate, because they've got some decisions to make, whether to accept it, uh, whether to reject the House changes and potentially go to conference committee or whether to amend it. But there was another factor. There were a couple of Republican delegates, uh, senators who were missing today, uh, Senator Greg Boso, Senator Mike Maroney, and that margin in the Senate was only 18 to 16, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago. So a couple of missing senators could make a difference on whether to accept this bill as it's come over from the House or whether to reject it. And, and what is our sense? We're all out there, we're talking uh, to two senators. What is our sense? Will they accept it? Will they, will they not? I'm forming a conference committee with Jake and Taylor and we're going straight to conference. <laughs> we'll, we'll have our report out, but there, there's just so much dis distance really between the two chambers. I'm trying to figure out in what world do they find something that they can not only agree upon in those five or three members from each chamber, but how do they take something back to each of their chambers that manages an upvote? And, and we've had the comments of the Senate President and the uh, Senate Education Chair. Uh, I know that, uh, that uh, Senator Rucker told me yesterday she thought that there was a lot of thought put into the bill, but the removal of some of those provisions she felt was thoughtless. That was, that was what she said. Yeah, big differences of opinion on the House and Senate side. Uh, the, the Senate majority feels strongly about education savings accounts, which are um, taxpayer dollars set aside for students in public school going to private education and charter schools. The Senate majority would like to see more charter schools. And those votes in the House were just very telling. Uh, just not a lot of support for either of those things, particularly the education savings accounts. And it's unclear to me, as it appears to be to Jake, uh, that, that 
that can really meet and compromise in any way that would be uh, a way to get a bill out of here. And I'd say one weird fulcrum in the debate is the Senate had this non-severability clause, the argument being we need all of this. We can't remove any part of this or all of education reform collapses. And not only did the House remove the non-severability clause, but they removed a lot of other pieces of the bill. So now the Senate is going to have to say, well, wait a minute, we, we said that you needed all of this. Maybe we don't feel so strongly about that now, or maybe we don't want any of this if we can't get all of this. Well, we saw uh, Democrats who were in the House who were, you know, steadfast against it at the beginning of that process when they received it from the Senate. Um, they were swayed with the, the tweaking that was done over there. Um, we see the State Board of Education now backs the bill. Uh, what about the unions? Well, I mean, there was a pretty telling uh, open letter from the AFT, West Virginia American Federation of Teachers, saying that the the charter schools provision has been changed so much that they would now consider it meaningless because there's got to be a vote of the faculty uh, at a school to change from a public school, a, a regular public school, into a charter school and they just think that it wouldn't happen. Uh, also AFT West Virginia looking toward some of the same things that we have, uh, just thinking that the positions of the two houses are so different that it's going to be hard to come out with a bill that then can pass each house. It's got to not only succeed in conference committee, but it's got to go back to the houses and be voted up to go anywhere. Well, it, it was a rough process, obviously, in the Senate, over in the House. Uh, this morning, contentious remarks um, today over the, not only the bill, but some of the media coverage that included um, uh, one of the delegates, uh, Delegate Fluhardy, was quoted in the paper using the term uh, cockroaches. And it was an analogy he was making when he was talking about those charter schools. Uh, there was some remarks this morning by Delegate Espinoza who took offense to that. Let's, uh, and then there were s subsequent remarks. So let's go ahead and listen to some of the tone this morning in the House. As quoted in the Martinsburg Journal, our colleague from the 4th apparently offered this. From the teachers I hear back home, they don't want any charter school whatsoever in this bill. That's not palatable for my teachers back home, and I can't blame them. I know of no one who wants to take two cockroaches home with them and not think they're not going to breed. That's right, Mr. Speaker. Our colleague from the 4th actually referred to public charter schools as breeding cockroaches. We really want to go down the route of uh, quoting uh, statements made by members of this body uh, in the media. Uh, because I can think of a few comments that have been in the national media, on CNN, on Newsweek, that have made this body a national embarrassment. But I don't think I, uh, I need to repeat those because we're all well aware of them. We've all, I think we've all probably had to defend them in our own district. Charter schools are made up of students and parents and local communities. We certainly don't mean to call students who choose cockroaches or parents who seek innovative choices cockroaches and I just waved the cause or the flag of caution I mentioned uh, yesterday on passage that I was frustrated that I've heard far too much indignation for parents in the debate for choice I am disappointed that in the debate for to find just some small level of school choice and family flexibility 
innovation or local control, parents have been insulted and ridiculed and devalued and uninvited to the table of discussion. And do not insinuate that he referred to anyone or anybody or any school as a cockroach. He was making a point. And I challenge every one of us in this room who has not used some type of analogy to make a point. His point was he was afraid charter schools would grow in West Virginia. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. Don't try to insinuate it's anything else. Do not try to encourage others to believe it's anything else. It was a point in a heated debate, nothing more. And I want to correct myself. I had said that that was a, uh, the cockroach uh, comment was made by Delegate Fluharty. I was wrong. That was made by Delegate Joe uh, Constrero. Constraro uh, from Marshall County, so I stand corrected there. Um, Brad, now you uh, you went to the governor's office to to ask about you know what are the possibilities, the fate of the the Senate bill. Yeah, the governor had a press conference about another thing today, and I did what reporters do, asked him about an entirely mm -hmm. different thing, and. Uh, you know, my question was, if, if this goes to conference committee and the Senate and the House can't work it out, a pay raise that you promised is in this bill. I said, would you call a special session to deal with the pay raise? And he indicated that, that that's highly likely he probably would. Oh, wow. Okay, moving along, we want to shift gears to Haler. While we've been, you know, consumed with the education <laughs> bill, you've been following a lot of other action, activity in, in different committees. Now, the Committee on Pre the Prevention and Treatment of Substance Abuse in the House passed two bills that want to uh, expand access to treatment. They passed those bills out of committee yesterday. Tell us about those. Yeah, so they're, they do two different things. Um, the one was kind of aimed at um, the report that Dr. Gupta did, former state health officer um, Dr. Gupta did about our 2017 overdose deaths, found that a lot of people, once they come out of jail, they, they overdose within 60 days of being released. So the goal of one of those bills was to try and get those people into counseling if they have, if they show signs of addiction or um, Folks on probation, parolees. Parole, right. Um, so the hope, they, there was a little bit of confusion over whether the language will actually accomplish that. So as it moves on to the judiciary, the hope was that it will still be tweaked a little bit. But the, that's the goal. Um, and then the other bill was to... Um, refresh my uh, memory. It, it, it was uh, medication assistance treatment. Right. So the, Dr. Warbach was saying that, um, from, he's from Cabell County, he said as he's been touring, he's hearing from local doctors in rural communities that they want to provide medication assisted treatment, which is the, the gold standard for addiction treatment right now. Um, but they just, with the standards that the legislature passed last year, it's a little hard for them. They have to kind of go through this longer of like registration process with DHHR. So this would kind of exempt them from part of that. They still have to tell DHHR that they're doing it. They still have to provide counseling with MAT. Um, but the goal is to hopefully provide more treatment where these people are in their homes so they don't have to travel an hour, two hours to Charleston, Huntington. Beckley to get tr addiction treatment. Now, does that bill have a second reference, or does does that get? Um, it will 
go to the, it will be up to the speaker to determine where that goes, but they were hoping that it will go to the um, health committee. Okay, and Jake, an, an update today, the House um, passed the medical cannabis banking fix is right. what it's called. So uh, just just update us what that issue was and I guess it goes to the Senate now? Sure, yeah, it goes over to the Senate. The issue is the medical marijuana program launches, or I should say scheduled to launch in July. And it turns out there was a hole in the program and that there was really no mechanism for the state to handle fees and penalties and taxes that come with the substance. So. What this bill does, because the bank's vendors, or I'm sorry, the treasurer's vendors, which are banks, are kind of unwilling to touch the money because of some of the exposure with conflict with federal law, is it's going to say that any non-bank institutions really looking at credit unions, if their board of directors are okay with the risk, then they can get in and they can bid for the state's contract. So it's going to let, hopefully it's going to patch up the financial hole in the program, and now that heads over to the Senate. And who knows what will happen anywhere, but I know that the Senate president has indicated support from him and his caucus for the bill. And there are other states, correct, that have figured out this kind of banking fix? Yeah, there are 30-some-odd states with medical marijuana programs. There are 10-some-odd states with recreational marijuana programs. I mean, the thing to pay attention to is it might be illegal federally, but it comes with a wink and a nudge from the federal government. The Treasury has guidelines for how these businesses can operate, and every time Congress puts out a budget, it says that the DOJ cannot prosecute businesses that are complying with state laws. And so I, it seems a little unfair to call it illegal at a federal level. It is technically illegal at a federal level, but there's certainly some safe harbors, to borrow a phrase from the Attorney General, who kind of okayed this, that businesses can operate legally within state law. Okay, I wanted to take a, a moment just to, you know, mark the calendar. We are approaching on Monday, day 41, and there's some significance there in the, in the Senate. Um, Brad, talk about uh, that day, the importance that uh, it is the last day to introduce bills in the Senate. Oh, right. So, yeah, uh, that, that we're nearing the end of the legislative session for one thing, but that means that a, a bill that's, um, that's originating in the Senate has got to make it through uh, committee and, and, and the whole Senate process before heading to the House. And that's one of the first milestones that means we're really coming up on the last little bit of the session here. Yeah, there are very few exceptions. I think um, uh, joint resolutions and uh, appropriation bills are, are among the exceptions that can still be introduced. Then six days after that on day 47, uh, bills are due out of committee in the House of Origin to ensure three full days of readings. And I, I guess I mentioned that just to say next week is going to be really, really busy in the committees. Yeah, and you know, if we keep talking about this conference committee for the education bill, which is really like 12 bills in one, so mm -hmm. if that's time consuming, but you've also got these other deadlines to get bills through, then it means we and the delegates and the senators are all going to be stressed out. Well, you know, earlier this week, we had the House Education Chair and the Vice Chair and the Minority Vice Chair. And, um, you know, I, I was asking them, well, what about that Community and Technical College Bill? And they were like, hopefully, hope, <laughs> uh, hopefully this week, you know, they're going to get to it. They, they thought they could get to it by the end of this week. Obviously, they haven't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't see it on the agenda next week or for Monday. but. Uh, We'll see that you know it, it's potentially some of these really important bills might get lost. 
I'd say I heard Speaker Hanshaw say something that I thought was quite clever. Uh, 60 days is an extremely long session if you are in the minority trying to stop everything, and it is an extremely short session if you are the majority trying to get through more projects than there are time to do them. A lot of bills that we talked about on this program early on <clears throat> that have kind of slipped by the wayside, uh, the broadband bill that the House was mm -hmm. proud of, uh, now is over on the Senate side, but where is it? Uh, the foster care bill that, that right. you and I have covered somewhat um, passed out of the House with some controversy. You would expect similar controversy on the Senate side, but they haven't picked it up yet. Uh, so a lot of second acts on bills still to come in short order. Uh, another bill that uh, we're seeing again to, uh, this year that was here last year, uh, Taylor, is the, um, the campus carry and you covered that story uh, this week. Tell us, tell us about that public hearing and, yeah. and where it is in committee. Yeah, um, so it's still, it's just still in Judiciary Committee. They hadn't discussed the bill yet. I mean, and what would it allow? What would it allow? Right, so this would allow people who have a, 18 to 20 year olds can get a concealed carry permit. Um, they have to go through a little bit of training to get it. And so it would allow those, those folks to conceal carry their um, firearm onto campus. And it has some limitations, but I mean, it would allow it into dorm rooms. And uh, it. there are a lot of professors, faculty, stu and students who are saying that this isn't, this isn't gonna make us feel safer. And that's really what came out of that public hearing was the majority of people were saying that this isn't gonna make me feel safer, it's gonna make me feel a lot less safe because now I'm, it's the same with this building. You, we can't carry a firearm here because we're having such, you know, lively discussions mm -hmm. and people feel passionately. And the same thing's happening on our college campuses and people are saying that if, I'm not gonna feel comfortable if someone next to me could have a gun, what am I gonna, how am I gonna feel safe that way? Um, and, so. and what is your sense about the members of the committee and how they're leaning? You know, I, it's, it's something that keep, it gets, brought back up year after year with kind of the same type of pushback. So I feel, you know, it will probably be along the same lines as, as it has been in past years. Um, when you have so many people who are directly impacted opposing it, um, it's kind of hard to see it being pushed, pushed through. That bill came up last year and was discussed in committee and just sort of fell by the wayside, uh, particularly West Virginia University was uh, strongly opposed and expressed uh, it's it's opposition to that bill. I think it's also important to note that the pol campus police officers really oppose it. Um, Ch um, Jim Terry, chief of the Marshall Police Department, always says, "When I show up, I, I don't know who's going, who's who's the shooter, and who is rightfully having a gun. Like they need to know who is wrongly, you know, has a gun, and for the safety of everybody." And so, all of cam campus police officers from across the state were also in opposition to it. Okay, now there was a, I can't even find it. Um, Jake, you wanted to talk about uh, uh, the fact that, you know, bathroom renovations may have to wait a little bit longer here at the Capitol. Well, I wouldn't say that, but they certainly <laughs> lost a very, probably negligible sum of money. But there was this strange bill that came up before a really minor committee, but it, it was just very curious, the whole thing. And it, the idea of the bill is that any person can pay $250 after and receive a background check and have unlimited access to this building 24-7 for two years. And it is open to any member of the public, but it seems like the only people who would really buy this would be lobbyists. 
And some members of the committee, I think like right when it came up and those $250 would go to bathrooms. So bathroom the, renovations. Yeah, the jokes write themselves. <laughs> and I think that some people on the committee were just flummoxed at why we're even considering giving corporate lobbyists more access than the general public. There's an optics problem there. And the committee tried to amend lobbyists out of the bill to say, if this is about public access, then let's just make it the general public and not lobbyists who will probably pass the cost on to their clients. And that was voted down. And I think that that was when people really started to smell something funny, no pun intended. And I think I actually stole that pun from committee. So maybe the pun was intended. <laughs> but the, the bill was voted down that, you know, it didn't, or I say it was put on the table. It could come back. I don't think it's going to. I think it smells. I'm sorry, oh. I can't help myself. <laughs> All right. This yeah. is we're we're going to pivot up. now to something very, very serious. Um, on, on the um, House floor this morning, um, uh, remarks by Delegate uh, Sammy Brown, and she's talking about. Um, you know, remarks in the House um, in a committee hearing maybe last week at this point, some racist language and comparisons that were made by a, a fellow delegate. Um, you know, before we go to that, can, Brad, can you um, just update us on the, you know, the, the, the controversy surrounding um, um, comments that have been made repeatedly, really, by Delegate Porterfield um, before we go into her remarks this morning. Obviously, that's still festering in the House. Yeah, this, this all began in a uh, meeting, uh, just a committee meeting, a couple of weeks ago. And it was a bill where there was an amendment proposed that would have rescinded municipal uh, fairness laws that include sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, but Delegate Porterfield went beyond that with his language and with his push uh, for, for the amendment. Um, in, into some, you know, territory that crossed the line rhetorically. And that has sparked, it sparked one day a very passionate floor discussion in the House, but there have been essentially brush fires on it ever since, uh, with delegates like Delegate Brown uh, continuing to be very concerned with, uh, with, with the culture. And, and so, you know, one thing that we've wondered, we in the media, is what, what is Delegate Porterfield's status? Um, and, and that is what she asked. She, she, she wants some kind of response from leadership. Let's go ahead and listen to that right now. I'm a little confused here because we continuously have gone through and we want to point fingers at one another, and, and we did in, in, in the effort of uh, lifting up charter schools, but we were trying to lift up equal rights, human rights, civil rights, and yet we repeatedly voted it down. And yet these comments were not condemned. They were overtly not condemned. In fact, we have stood complicit to these comments. Now, I respect the individuals across the aisle, and so now I'm very much going to call to action that we condemn comments like that, that we stop playing politics, and that we are consistent in our behaviors and move forward with integrity and character go forward. And of course, uh, they've been asking several Democrats uh, on, that, uh, on that committee in particular are asking for some kind of response from uh, the speaker, and, they, and he hasn't come out. 
The Republican Party condemned Delegate Porterfield, mm -hmm. and that was, I think, Monday. And mm -hmm. so some of us were in kind of a stakeout in the Speaker's office mm -hmm. uh, out in the hallway for an hour or more. And what we saw was Delegate Porterfield go in, which indicated to me they were having some kind of discussion about what is what is your role here? What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Let's not talk the way you talked. Mm -hmm you know, just trying to figure that out. And so we wanted to know what the answer was and never really got one. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we did in some ways in that he's still on his committees and the fact that he emerged from the speaker's office and then repeated some of the remarks and, and the, the comparisons. Yeah, he's repeating, it, it, it's ignorance is what, it, it's ignorance. And he's repeating the same ignorance. So whatever message was sent, I think actually he has toned it down a bit in recent days, but it certainly didn't stick then. And now every time he seeks recognition on the floor, there's sort of this silence and, oh God, what's gonna happen now every time? And I don't know that that's gonna go away. In the just a few moments that we have left, let's uh, very quickly look to what we're gonna be doing next week. Taylor, tell us what you're gonna be following. Yeah, um, next week, you know, I, I'm just kind of playing it by ear really and seeing what these last few bills are going to be to come out of committees. You know, there are a couple, there's a couple abortion bills that have been proposed, see if maybe those get moved out of committees. Um, I'll be paying attention to anything like that. Okay, Jake, real quick. I'm really interested in bills like intermediate courts and the college, uh, what we talked about earlier, in that now that there are these negotiations going on with the omnibus bill, what's happening with everyone's pet projects and how do they factor in? Okay, and real quickly, Brad. Conference committee, and I invite all of you to be on my conference. <laughs> right. You are my conferees. All right, thank, thank you all for being here. Brad McElhaney, Taylor Stuck, and Jake Zuckerman. Thank you all. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.